Aloha, and welcome to the show. The 692nd Podcast is a platform for developing and connecting with our airmen across the island and those now serving on the mainland. Tune in for episodes where we talk all things leadership and personal development while getting a glimpse into the lives of the people moving our missions forward. I'm your host, Master and Derek Addison, and this is the 692nd Podcast. Welcome Knights, Tigers, Hawks, Warriors, and Krakens to the first interview of Colonel Stacy Kahara, Commander, 692 ISR Group. She assumed command on 3 June 2021 and has undoubtedly been given the firehose treatment each day since. Colonel Kahara is no stranger to the island or to our missions, having previous assignments to the Joint Intelligence Operations Center, PACAF A2, as well as being a former Tiger and Sentinel. Colonel Kahara, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Like I said in the beginning, you are a former Tiger for the 324th and Sentinel, also known as the Krakens now with the 8th IS. Taking command of a group is undoubtedly a daunting task, but did you feel any less or maybe more pressure being a former member of the 692nd ISR group? So I would say that I felt less pressure coming in. It felt right. It felt like it fit. It felt very nostalgic having understood the missions at both the 324th and the 8th IS, and really the 392nd too, right? Because it evolved out of the 324th. Correct. Um, And then I got in the seat, and I realized the evolution of which um, we have advanced in the 324th, 392nd, 8th IS, and then the 792nd. And so I've been playing catch-up since I got in the seat, um, but... Uh, like you said, with a fire hose, I'm, I'm catching on quick. I still feel like it fits because I have that baseline and background of knowledge that helps me um, grasp the concepts of what we're trying to do here and the relationships uh, that I have on island and with the National Security Agency um, are are instrumental and have already paid dividends here. So, so I think a little of both. That's good. So you said that you know you're trying to kind of play catch up. Obviously, everyone in the group knows that we're constantly running full speed in all different directions. Each one of the squadrons themselves have their own, you know, multiple paths that they're taking on a daily basis to try to get ahead of either near pair adversaries or just trying to innovate within, you know, the constructs and the constraints that we have in the Air Force. But are there anything specific or maybe some specific paths you want us to focus on going into the future? Yes, I thought about that before I came into command. And your perspective is always different based on where you're sitting at the time. So I'll say, as I walked into command, my big focus, having been at Indopaycom and PACAF, was to make sure that we were clearly in line with the operational plans and the warfighters' needs. That hasn't changed. Um, I've, I've articulated that to the teams and the squadrons who are pushing mission forward. And they're re-looking um, at what we're doing to support the warfighter to ensure that we are meeting those expectations, that what we're being asked of falls in line and we're supportive to the warfighters um, out here in the Pacific. I think that's extremely important. The other piece that I didn't really understand until I got 
brief today by the 792nd was how instrumental the backbone, the architecture, and the infrastructure was to ensuring that our weapon systems are ready to go. Right? So we can support the O-Plan, but unless we have those functions in place, we're not going to get very far. So I was astounded by the work that they're doing to advance the mission, but also to go above and beyond to ensure that we're war ready. So Absolutely. And with the O-Plans and you know the operational requirements that the warfighter is going to need from us or kind of demand from us whenever in the event that any type of conflict uh, does occur. We've been kind of, you know, discussing those type of O plans and we've been discussing what the needs of the warfighter are, especially going into specific milcons whenever we're talking about maybe a joint AOC and group or, you know, DGS facility and what type of, what are the needs and requirements of the warfighter and, you know, as the AOC is pretty much that that uh, that liaison between the intel and the uh, the customer, so we've we've had a lot of conversations with the AOC and certain key aspects with in PACAF staff with A two, A three, A six, A five, and I think that we as intel usually overlook those the seven ninety second aspects because we just assume that we're going to show up one day and things are going to work and. Being in my position with systems integration, I see, obviously, both sides of it. And uh, I'm glad that you also see, you know, the importance of the 792nd because they, they are overlooked, right? Uh, in most aspects. Let me let me say that. Probably not uh, recently here since they're the, uh, the first ISS to be the Intel support or the Intel unit of the year for the wing. But that is not a... Uh, that is not an easy task to obviously an easy award to achieve as an, a support unit. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you got a good, obviously, back briefing or, or briefing for from them. With previous commanders, I tend to, as, as I feel as a senior NCO, it's, it's my job to speak on your behalf a lot. With the podcast, pretty much every show I do, I'm going to be speaking on your behalf. And I feel that every member in the 692nd ISR group is a representation of you, whether that's you know the lowest airman all the way up to your deputy. And I feel that uh, being on part of the group staff, that responsibility is even greater for, for those of us that are on the staff. And I want to make sure that the, the messages that I put out to the group, to ACC, to the wing, to all the customers that I have to deal with as well, uh, that are on island and out, you know, alone and unafraid in, uh, in wherever they're operating, that my message that I'm presenting is your message. So is there anything specific or what type of message do you want to make sure that it's, it's propagated out? Sure. Um, I, I spoke a little bit about this at the change of command, right? There yeah. are some key tenants that I think are extremely important, right? You can't take care of the mission unless you take care of the people. So you have to take care of the people first. And that's a message that should be filtered all the way down to the lowest level because it's not just me taking care of the airmen. It's the first line supervisors. It's the senior NCOs. It's our officers. It's the commanders, the first sergeants, the chiefs. And so if I don't set that example and, and live by that every day to prove and show that the airmen um, and the people doing our mission are number one, we're not going to have the people to do the mission, which is the next most important thing, is being really good at what you do. Getting really good at, at the basics and then building off of that, right? Um, we have very clear guidance that is very hard to execute. Uh, 
And so we have to interpret what that looks like, but we have to trust our folks to be able to also interpret that, uh, to be innovative, to create solutions in a fiscally constrained environment where we're not going to get any more people and we're not going to get any more money, but we're certainly going to get more mission. And so how do we accomplish that? We trust our folks, we train them, we give them the tools that they need, and then we let them go. We, we let them do the things that they're really good at. We have their back, and then we take care of them in ways that they need, whether that's with equipment, um, proper dormitories, things like that. Um, and then we watch them thrive, and we give direction as needed, but we trust them. They get really good at the basics, and then we challenge them. Um, and, and when I say them, I mean from the bottom echelons all the way up to the top. Uh, human nature is the same. So we all need that feedback. We all need to be taken care of and given the right tools. And then we have to be allowed to do our jobs with a little bit of course correction here and there. And then, and then to be challenged, right? No one wants to be stagnant. So we have to challenge folks to do that next level thing. What that is, it, it varies every day depending on what you're looking at. From a mission perspective, it's, yes, we can accomplish the mission today, but are we accomplishing it in the way that allows us to be beneficial long-term? Are we going to meet our adversaries in competition, conflict, and crisis? If the answer is no, how do we get to yes? How do we get there each and every day so that when we do have to face those circumstances, we're ready? Or at least ready in a way where we can be um, you know, scrappy, just like we do, right? Americans, not Americans. So how, how do we get to that point where we're, we're confident in our abilities so that when something breaks or something doesn't work, we can trust that we can come up with other options and we trust our folks to execute the mission when we're not there. Absolutely. Autonomy is obviously very important to you. Because of that, would you say that micromanaging is one of your biggest pet peeves? Yes, I would say that is definitely a pet peeve. And I, I, think, um, I think a lot of people misunderstand micromanagement. <clears throat> and, and the J2 just put out an email that I'll, I'll, I'll share with the group. And he talked about this very topic of micromanagement. He talked about there's a difference between a micromanager who creates an environment that's almost toxic in a sense where there's no empowerment, there's no trust, and there's no delegation of authority to allow people to thrive in an environment where they can innovate and come up with ideas without being held back. Um, and, and direction. You should always give direction, but just enough direction so that you can let them loose and create. Then there are those leaders who sometimes get mistaken for micromanagers by those who aren't necessarily achieving, and those are the folks who know the mission, they understand what's happening at each echelon to a very deep extent, but they're not in the business themselves. They're just able to articulate to the senior leaders what their people are doing and what they need to continue to do the mission. And there's a difference. The latter is where I expect my folks to be. The former is not helpful to the mission. So yes. Absolutely. I remember um, when I was instructor at Goodfellow, we discussed micromanagement because it was it became a topic because I believe people were being held being held accountable. Um, especially with the new EPR system and those those kind of tough conversations that we we weren't really comfortable with having um, with our supervisors and subordinates. I, I guess it, it came out that a lot of people were felt like they were being micromanaged um, when really they're being held accountable. 
And so there was a lot of discussions about being micromanaged and what micromanagement is. And it all came down to pretty much a lack of trust. So I'm going to micromanage someone I don't trust. If I don't trust that I train them be, uh, well enough or they don't have the right training or the proper training or I don't I just don't feel like they're going to do the, the right job. So I'm going to make every decision myself. And that is extremely detrimental to obviously our airmen's mental health, knowing or having that feeling that they're not trusted in their work environment. So, you know, what's the point in really being there if if they don't get to they don't get to strive or, you know, strive to do better or, you know, thrive in whatever work environment they have. Yeah. Um, Empowerment gives folks a sense of purpose, right? When they're empowered to do something, they have to find what that purpose is in order to fulfill that responsibility. If you just give a task, it's really difficult to see the bigger picture of what you're trying to do. And so I think it's really important, but I do agree. There's a very fine line. And I think I mentioned this in the first staff meeting I had with the group is that I don't, as far as I know, I don't do, um, you know, um, I don't micromanage. However, there will be times that I get heavily involved, either because it matters to the wing and they've asked me to be involved, or I've lost trust. And, and you, it, it comes down to trust, you're right. And so I, I was very clear that if you feel like I'm micromanaging you and I haven't reached out to you first, feel free to come and talk to me because there may be a point where I'm starting to lose faith and trust or I may have a mission that I'm trying to accomplish that I haven't clearly articulated yet. But either way, we probably need to have a conversation. Right. I think in most situations that, that I've been in, at least with uh, squadron and group commanders and even wing commanders, that it's usually when you feel micromanaged, it's usually my ability or my lack of ability to communicate what you need to know. Um, and that's the biggest thing whenever, if I feel that I'm ever being like micromanaged, it's usually because I haven't articulated clearly the, or the, communicated clearly what I need to communicate to the individual. And usually a conversation, just a one-on-one either fixes it or corrects me because communication is definitely a two-way street. Just because I said something does not mean I communicated it to you. So, or properly at least. So, Let's actually go back to that first group staff meeting that you that you had with us. You spoke a lot about teaming and how important it is. And earlier you talked about how your relationships with the National Security Agency and obviously everyone that is on this island that we have to communicate with possibly on a daily basis, depending on what our mission set is. Um, but can you speak a, l- a little bit more about what you expect from our airmen and guardians uh, when it comes to teaming? Sure. So I think the one big thing that um, everyone should take away is that we are not accomplishing the mission for ourselves, right? It's very difficult sometimes when you're asked to do a very particular mission to get lost in the doing part and forget about why we're actually doing it. If you really think about why we're doing something, if we're not doing it for ourselves, there has to be some kind of customer base or warfighter. And that requires some type of relationship, whether it's with the AOC, um, PACAF A2 or 3 or 5 or 6, the TJ factoring exercises, or even Indo-PACOM. And so how do we continue that communication, think of the big picture, and have those relationships built so when we're on the watch floor or we're doing a mission and something happens and we're not really sure about it, that we can reach out and touch another intel agency or organization through a pre-established relationship and get that larger picture or produce something bigger over time because we've created those relationships with those other agencies. 
Or maybe we've come up with a new way of doing something that really helps the warfighter that we haven't done before. And I can tell you, having done some immersions the last couple of weeks, I've seen exactly that. And it was the teaming and the relationship um, amongst the squadrons, within our wing, across wings, and then on island too. So I think that in an intel community, there's not enough people to do all the tasks. And so what we have to do is be able to reach out to do those things together so that we're not being redundant, but that we're also tackling the problems in a different way that allows us to answer some of the questions that we haven't been able to answer and that we probably won't be able to answer just by ourselves. Just in our group with the 324th and the 8th IS, those uh, kind of serendipitous meetings where you have you know an airman who is good at coding and has access to certain stuff and and the 8th is needs that specific access or is trying to do something with that access and coding and try to blend it together so that we can get you know left of bang information type stuff those type of things happen too rarely when probably able to happen maybe once a month based on all the different things that each one of these squadrons are doing and i think that teaming i uh, your kind of that, that direction that you want to go to, that everyone should understand who their relationships are or who their relationships should be maybe uh, and develop those, not with just with the AOC, but those customers. I think ADAC, uh, the Air Domain Awareness Cell, has done a lot of that uh, with the Navy. In fact, you know, gone out uh, to sea with them a, a couple of times now. Um, I think they were kind of pushing towards that. And it, I know a, a lot of the 8th IS leadership at the time, you know, previous leadership didn't really understand why that was so important uh, until they saw the fruits of it later on. And the new commander would get this, you know, shiny new toy or whatever. They would understand. Unfortunately, it takes too long to realize the benefits if you're if you don't have that type of vision, I guess. It does. Yeah. And speaking of the ADAC, I mean, just, you know, can't talk specific details, but just over the last couple of days because of that relationship, Mm We were able to, the the Navy was overtasked, and so they asked the ADAC to take on some of their mission for Mm -hmm. them, and we were able to provide, um, you know, intelligence that was not just relevant to the Pacific Fleet, but to the TJFAC as well, Um, and had that not, that relationship not been in place, our folks might not have been trusted to provide that real-time key intelligence to the Navy warfighting in the theater. Um, and to see that, it showed, again, the trust that was there because of the relationships that were built. Yeah. And and everyone knows relationships are everything. If you walk into a place, oh, hey, I, I know this person, you're going to get things a little bit different. Um, I've experienced that over the last week, asking for money, right? <laughs> so, you know, everyone needs money. And, and I know that our group needs money too, right? So having conversations with PACAF that maybe not might have been a little bit more difficult, but because I had worked with this person for the last 12 years, they're like, oh, yeah, I think that's totally possible. And so now we're looking at getting an unfunded requirement that was never even on the docket. And, you know, we're looking at, you know, four to five years from now, maybe potentially executing in the next year. That's great. I know that Colonel Mack was specifically interested in how PACAF uses the DCGS funds uh, that they get. Hopefully, with the relationships that you already have, we can get a little more insight into how PACAF is using the funding that they are given for the support of DCGS, not just here, but as well as in Korea. Yes, and and actually that's what drove this conversation. Um, And and I will say it was a little 
we were all unsure. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that they've spent a lot of money on DGS three yes. and must much, much needed. Um, and I think we maybe didn't know how to ask specifically in particular ways because we didn't know it was available. Um, trust me, we know how to ask now, and I have asked. So I think we're going to be good. And I think uh, if this goes through, our art team will be very satisfied. That's good. Oh, so the art team will be satisfied. I know that the 792nd is very upset <laughs> about that. So uh, that we play Ultimate Frisbee with 792nd, or they play Ultimate Frisbee every Monday and Wednesday evening. And that gets brought up almost every time. (laughs) So that specific art project. Yes. But it is definitely it is definitely needed. The art needs more space. They need I think the the, their their space they have is very nice. But with the amount of people that they have that we need in that art, in that function, uh, it's just they're on top of each other. And anytime anyone goes in there for, uh, you know, an interview or to speak with, you know, mental health or the chaplain or, or major Olmstead for, uh, physical ailments, it's, you can, you can feel that you're in a room with six other individuals. So it's, uh, it's kind of, kind of cumbersome if you're going there for mental health or for chaplain or, or for, you know, physical ailments, you shouldn't feel are already constrained and congested, um, whenever you're trying to seek whatever type of help, right? That's right. So yeah, and that that's really the backbone of right. So you build the foundation, and the foundation is again taking care of the folks and making sure they're ready for the mission, so that when mission comes, they're resilient and ready to go. Absolutely, I do know that when we are playing ultimate frisbee, Sergeant Orlando is out there all the time, and I know the seventy second consistently is like, I never seen your office. And he always, you know, mentions that his office is so small that he just needs to get out and start talking to people. And obviously, you know, as his role in the art is to talk to people and make sure they're doing okay and make sure they they have everything they need for not just the mission but also, you know, the the human side of the of the of the life. So he is consistently, you know, reminding people that his office is way too small for him to sit in there with all the other people in there and have conversations with people. So yes, uh, and he he doesn't like his phones either. So we got to get him new phones. It's they're prehistoric. So it was a funny story. I went in to do my initial immersion with them and I said, well, give me like your your top three things or one thing that you need me to help with. And I think he was at a loss for a second or got flustered. And he looked at the phone. He's like, we need new phones. And then he was just like, oh, did I really just say that? And so now it's a running joke. I always ask him how the phones are doing or maybe I just need to get him phones as part of whatever build out we do for them they New already phones. they already have specific phones though <laughs> they've got i mean they don't have the pots phones that that majority of the group i think does. they do no there's are are uh all they're uh, not all tell not verizon who is who owns the phones at&t i think huh. i think they have specific at&t phones because we were trying to get i guess voips for them so that all their numbers can go to one specific phone so yes. it can be answered yeah well, that was going to cost way too much with the base, so we just put them all on a call tree. So now, if any phone's ringing, anyone can just pick up the phone and hit start two four and pick up the phone. Hmm. So, yeah, they've already got good phones though. Uh, not according to Sarno Lando. I'll swap them out with some Pots phones and see how. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see if he when he starts complaining about the phones now. Okay, so I have a I have a couple of random questions that I have listed here that you have not got to see or you haven't uh, had a chance to think about any answers. I'm like ready. That. So, so these are the ones I've got. A, I've got a whole list, about 300 to 600 questions. 
uh, for interviewees. <laughs> no one's so, going to listen to that. No many. one's going to listen. <laughs> yeah. I do. Uh, I mean, I have 200 hours worth of recording available, but no one's going to do that. No one's going to listen. So um, because you have spent so much time on this island, yes. I'm curious, where is your go to restaurant for amazing food? Okay, so it's new because they didn't have this before, but it's my new favorite restaurant. Okay. Okay, so let me let me take a step back. My ideal day on this island is solitude. I know, I'm an introvert in my heart. And so my ideal day is to go up to Shark's Cove. And if it's um, summertime, I'll go snorkeling. If it's winter, clearly not. But I like to just sit there and, and be peaceful and be alone, read some books. I, I do my Kindle. And then um, probably mid-afternoon, I go to Kuaina Burger. Um, so that's my go-to place. And I always get the um, mahi sandwich with the Ortega uh, chili on it. That's that's my sandwich. And so I'm um, creature of habit, as you can see. Yeah. Mm. So, so I love Kuaina Burger. But what I will tell you is the new restaurant that just opened up is Istanbul, Honolulu, or Hawaii. Okay. So it is a... Uh, Turkish restaurant or Mediterranean delicious so I have been to Israel I have been to UAE I've been all over the Middle East I haven't been to Turkey but yeah I love Middle Eastern food and this restaurant is run by a mother and daughter who uses their uh, family recipes phenomenal it's just amazing Mediterranean food. And so my husband and I go there all the time and get this tapa plate. And it's the baba ganoush is amazing. And so I know that's odd in a place like Hawaii. I mean, it's fine. But yes. And so now everyone's going to want to go and I'm not going to get reservations anymore. <laughs> Istanbul, Hawaii. Istanbul, Hawaii. And it's right across the street downtown from the Whole Foods. Okay. Yes. So there's like a Japanese restaurant and then Istanbul, Hawaii. Is oh. right there. I don't know if it's Istanbul, Hawaii, or Istanbul, Honolulu, but if you just type in Istanbul, it pops up because it's so popular right yeah. now. It's been hard to get reservations. Interesting. Do they do takeout? Um, they do. Okay. Yes, I haven't tried the takeout, but um, but I'll tell you, sitting in is was really good. Yeah. Yeah, they have some very unique desserts. I can't remember the name of it, but it, it it's delicious. It's like some cheese and puff pastry and honey, fresh honey. It's delicious. So, yes. So my oldest daughter just turned 12. So now she is legally allowed to just watch the other two children. Nice. So we've been doing date night. Um, it's like the first time we've ever done date night in like 12 years. So <laughs> um, so now that we, all right. So now that we have date night capabilities, we are. Definitely try that restaurant. Yeah. Yes. There's, a, there's a TikTok group or person or whatever that I follow. Pretty much. A bunch of college girls that are going all around Honolulu and going to you know different places for brunches and things like that. Nice. So yes. uh, I know that whenever Sergeant Redinger and Sergeant Love were looking for a place, I told them like just go follow these these girls on on TikTok because they're just going around just you know doing reviews and things, tell yeah. you what they liked, what they didn't like, and everything like that. So uh, so I told my wife I was like, hey, we're gonna be we're just following these girls on TikTok. She's like, it's kind of weird. I was like, eh, it's just for food though. <laughs> It's for date night, so it's yes. okay. Burgers, uh, mahi sandwich up in with Kuwaina Ortega burger. salsa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kuwaina Ortega um, pepper. It's like an Ortega pepper, but it's not hot okay. at all. It's um, but it's just delicious. Okay. Yeah, and it's fresh. So yes, Kuaina burger, and Kuwaina then burger. Istanbul, Hawaii, and then Moku Grill, 
is really good. That's down off of Nimitz. Mm-hmm. So that's really good as well. And then um, this is a little hidden secret too, but I took when we had our resiliency day. Mm-hmm. So our team went and um, Kona Grill didn't work out for us because we were covered in mud and soaking wet. So we went to a Thai place, um, Thai, Bay, Thai Bistro Suksa Bay. It's in the Pearl Ridge um, Town Center, right across the street from Pearl Ridge, where you can get the malasadas. Right. Inside there is a Thai place, and I've been going there for years, and I will tell you it is the best Thai food on the island. I've passed by that so many times. Yes, and so everyone who went with me on this um, yeah. said the same thing. I had no idea this was here. Yeah. And so actually I'm doing takeout tonight from there for my family. But I will drive all the way from Mililani to do takeout from this place or eat in. Right. Um, and when you go in there, you're like, really? Is this is this really? Trust me. It's usually the best type of food, though. Yes, when it you is. you walk in, you're like, do I need a tetanus shot? Am I going to am I gonna survive this? That's exactly what you're yeah. thinking. Yeah. Yeah, and it is it is by far my favorite Thai place mm. on the island. So when me and my wife went to Maui, we had no children with us, so it was amazing. Um, although I love my children. They're not going to listen to this. It doesn't matter. But still, <laughs> in while we were in Maui, we obviously were trying and we're eating all the foods because every all the food is delicious there. The best food we had there, though, was a Thai food truck down near Hana Bay. Oh, nice. And it was, I mean, it, it had like a, an actual deck built onto it. So it was a, it was a food truck, but it had been there for a minute. Uh, it was the best Thai food we'd ever had. And we spent 10 days in Thailand, too. Yeah. And just in Phuket, just vacationing and doing all the good stuff. I will talk to the wife about Thai food. Yes. I'm giving you all these little Tomorrow nights. Yes. You will not be disappointed. Do they have food for kids? I know my kids eat. They do. So my kids eat the egg rolls, um, Mm -hmm. but they are on the um, appetizer menu. I forgot what it's called, but it's their Thai fried chicken. Okay. Unbelievable. I don't know why I'm writing this down. I have I have literally a recording right now. (laughs) I have all of this right here in front of me. Yes. So okay, this is kind of a personal question. Okay. What did you Google last? What did I Google last? Can I look? Absolutely. Okay. Oh, wait. That's my work phone. I don't Google anything on my work phone because I'm not allowed. That's a public um, announcement. But on mine, I believe that I was looking for hotels for close to wineries in California. So Chief and I are headed to Beale to Mm -hmm. talk to DGS2, and I'm going to take a day or two of leave. My best friend is meeting me there, and we're going to go to a place called Clarksburg, which I didn't know about, but yeah. it's in the Sonoma Valley. Mm-hmm. And it's known for um, a Boggle Winery, which is a famous winery that um, became famous during the Obama administration when they started serving that wine at the White House. Oh. So it blew up and got really popular in this tiny little town, which is why I'm having trouble finding a hotel. Yeah. Um, and so this little town has um, a bunch of up-and-coming wineries, so boutique wineries, okay. vice the very large ones right. in Napa. So we decided to try the boutique wineries. And so I was Googling some of the wineries and the restrictions and trying to set up some, some wine tours for the two days that I'm going to take leave. Yeah. So Beale just... Uh, did their change of command they recently? Did. Yes. So General or General uh, Colonel Souza just relieved command to Colonel Ayers. Colonel Ayers. Yes. Right. Yes. And so I I know them both. 
And so, yes, I actually watched it. Yeah. Um, yes, it was at six in the morning. So I watched it and I actually sent um, a lay to each of them from a Hawaiian lay company. Mm-hmm. And so it got there the Friday before and the exact was able to present a lay to each of them at their change of command. That's awesome. So, yeah, both um, amazing people, both um, great peers of mine, good friends. So, yeah, I'm happy for them both. I'm assuming that you're going to see the new facilities that's there. Yes. Um, to see what uh, the 480th CE team is is bringing to us. Obviously, we are um, opposed to the glass that tints all the way around because <laughs> we would have to pay an exorbitant amount of money to change the historical aspect of a facility. So uh, we're not going to do that. But So Beal and wine. Yes, Beal and wine, yes. And the main purpose for Beal is to really, again, see the facilities, but... Um, talk about mission alignment. Yeah. What does it look like? It's, we've been in um, the transformation for about a year plus. Mm-hmm. So are we headed in the right direction? Or now that we have our feet under us, is there a better direction that supports the warfighter um, in a way that's more beneficial and allows us to take on additional mo- not necessarily mission, but mission in a way that allows us to take more responsibility from an Air Force perspective. Mm-hmm. So. Part of your teaming effort. Part of the teaming effort, yes. They are a major portion of our um, problem set and our theater. And so are we aligned where we need to be? And have we um, split the mission in a way that makes sense to each of us, the professional development of our airmen and the warfighter? Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Sounds good. You have a master's degree in educational psychology? Yes. Or psychology education? Educational psychology. Educational psychology. I get my wife's master, like the term, the title of it confused all the time. She's like, that's not what it is. I was like, okay. So, <laughs> so, um, so as a uh, uh, psychology major, what social stigma does society need to get over? Very, very interesting question. Um, so I think the social stigma is the, I would say the traditional family, right? Um, I clearly... I'm not in the old traditional family where the husband goes to work, the wife stays home. And and um, so that's been a little bit of a challenge. Um, now, I say that in a sense that I think people should determine what works for them, right? There shouldn't be a standard or a baseline, but because of so many years of the, the traditional family being in a certain way, I think it creates stigmas or pressure I would say more pressure for those who for instance the male spouses right is it the difficulty in them getting roped into events or or being different than than the female spouses there is you know difficulty there being a mom and a commander at the same time is very difficult so this morning I'm waking up early and I'm like do I check my email well I also have to make birthday invitations for my daughter's ninth birthday that's in three weeks and so I elected to make birthday invitations Mm -hmm. and so I think sometimes the pressure we feel is is internal but I think some of the pressure we feel is those external expectations and those stigmas that have been placed on us in society that really need to be broken right Um, to allow people to do both a lot of people feel like well I can't do a career and I can't do family I have to pick one or the other 
well, you have to do what's right for you. And I don't know what that looks like, but society shouldn't dictate what that looks like. Absolutely. You should dictate what that looks like. Absolutely. So. I, to- I totally agree. Uh, being a Korean linguist and learning a lot about the how Korean society is, uh, and now that um, we have North Korean conversations on the DLPT, so we're being tested on North Korean, we have to learn about North Korean society as well. Um, you know, their economics, their social uh, issues, and uh, things like that. And we are watching a drama right now about, it's called Crash Landing on You, it's on Netflix, uh, and it's about a South Korean woman who gets taken up in, in a tornado, which doesn't exist on Korea, but still, and, <laughs> and dropped into uh, North Korea. But you can see the family dynamics in there, and you can see how the external pressures from, let's say, the the spouses, the, the women who are spouses to the military men, because everyone in North Korea is a militant in some way, shape, or form, and seeing how those women talk with each other about other women I'm assuming is very indicative of every society. I, I have no doubt that people do that no matter what country you live in or how you were raised. I can assume that there are there's a lot of pressure internally, you know, your own type of beliefs or whatever, how you were raised and what you saw in society growing up on TV and, and everything else, because that influences how we think uh, as we get older. But also those outside, you know, those outside pressures. It's interesting that... Uh, that people care about that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I agree that people should get over that. Yeah. It, it doesn't affect you at all. Like how, how your family specifically uh, wants to or how you run your family or how, you know, the roles in which you and your husband and, you know, um, uh, even if it's a, I don't even if there's a third person there, maybe you've got an uncle or something like that or a grandparent living and, you know, and, and they take a, on specific roles. Uh, it's no one else's business. Yeah, so. and you see that here in Hawaii too. Like, um, we see it, my husband and I, with the school, um, which we love. We love the school that the kids go mm-hmm. to. But we can tell um, from Hawaii, a lot of the parents work because of the cost of living out here. Yeah. Um, and so the grandparents take care of the kids. And so you'll see that during the summer, there's not a lot of summer programs because the grandparents take care of the kids, right? So when the military members come out here and who aren't from the local community, finding summer programs is very difficult or after school programs because traditionally the grandparents had taken on that role. And so when we go to the school, we'll find that a lot of the announcements or the decisions they make on whether or not they're going to have after school care or some of the holidays that they don't announce or teacher days, they announce like a week or two out. I have a lot of planning to do to figure out, is my husband going to take off or am I going to take off? Or my mother-in-law is in town, so I guess I could be okay. a traditional. <laughs> uh, but to make those decisions, you can tell that the that Hawaiian society here has, has those standards or what's happened over time. And so for me, that doesn't, that doesn't work, but they're you know, they're looking at the whole. And so all the grandparents are showing up to pick up the kids or take care of them. So it's a little bit different, right? And so everywhere you go, I think, is is a little different. Here is very unique. Um, yeah. But again, if you look around, families are so different now, right? There's same-sex marriages. There's um, I have a, a couple of my closest friends, you know, are um, the same-sex marriage. They've been married for 
probably 17 years, uh, right when it began, mm-hmm. um, whether it was acknowledged or not, right. they've been married. Um, and so now have, they have two sons. And so watching them grow up um, with their family, again, families look different now. They yeah. just are. And so to apply a particular standard, and they go through the same struggles I go through. They're both working, they're both military, they both have two kids. And so we commiserate together, even though we may not look exactly the same. Yeah, so. absolutely. So uh, I will say I kind of already know your answer to this one, I believe. So I'm going to I'm going to take it off the table so we cannot discuss ultimate Frisbee. OK. All right. So yep. uh, what is the most boring sport and what would you do to make it more exciting? OK. And you think you know the answer to this? I thought it was going to be ultimate Frisbee. So I go ahead and take it off. OK. Well, it's not. OK. Golf. Golf is the most boring. Golf sport. is the most boring sport Have in you ever the watched entire tennis? world at least tennis there's back and forth back and forth um okay golf is it's worse it's way worse it just yeah. is so long it is and i it's just so boring so what would i do to make it fun so funny story back when i was at the 324th and i was a tiger i was leading the air force ball and raising money for our committee and so we had a golf tournament because in Hawaii, everyone loves golf and golf tournaments make money. Yes. And so I drove the beer cart um, during this event and I was very good at this. So I was selling lots of you know beverages and beer and I thought, we're not just going to sell beer. Beer is boring. So let's come up with cocktails. And so we were creative in that each hole had a different cocktail. And so we'd drive around to make sure that we got to every hole when different folks were there mm-hmm. and, and came up with a creative way to do all the cocktails. And I had a great time because it was fun. I was mixing drinks in the golf cart. I wasn't drinking and driving the golf cart. I was mixing drinks. I mean, I think the statute of limitations is exceeded. You're good. <laughs> That's right, right? <laughs> Um, no one knows when this was. Um, and so, so I had a really good time, and I made it fun, even though it was – a super boring game. Yeah. So, and I think everyone else had a lot of fun too. Well, probably because of all the alcohol. The, yeah, the ones that were drinking. Yeah, but they were safe. We made sure. Yeah, I agree <laughs> that golf is extremely boring. I, I hear that people who play it think it is very exciting. I tried. I, I tried it so many times because it's like again stigmas. Yes. When I was a young officer. It was much bigger because the demographic of our senior leaders was a little different yes. and, and very um, vanilla. Yes. And um, and so golf was the thing. And so everyone said, oh, if you're going to be an officer and you're going to be successful, you better learn how to golf. And so I did learn how to golf. I never got good at it, mostly because I didn't like it. But mm-hmm. I never enjoyed it. And so for those who said, oh, if you play it, you really enjoy it. Nope. Nope. So I tried it once. My high school had a golf team, uh, and we used to play at this golf course right down the street from our from our high school. Uh, apparently, I have a slice, and I hit an old guy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's in Florida, so there's there's old guys everywhere. So I was not aiming for him. He was way off to the side, and uh, I hit the ball extremely hard because I thought, you know, the harder you hit it, the more farther it goes, and the better your chances of getting a, a hole in one or so. I don't know what I was going for. Uh, definitely hit him. Um, it did not. He dropped, so I felt bad. Wow, you knocked uh, him out. I know. I just hit him on the arm, but he was oh. he was old and he fell and he was down. So I felt bad for that. Bounced another one off of a house, um, which if you live in the golf course area, then you pay our homeowners association. So any broken windows are automatically fixed, no no charge and everything. So mm. I don't think the truck that I hit was as uh, lucky. Yeah, so or I covered. Definitely broke a window out of a truck. 
So after... And that was just the one time that you was That was in like a 10-minute span. So Wow. So I gave up golf uh, right away. I'll still do putt-putt. Yes, putt-putt's different. Yeah. It's not really golf. Exactly. Putt-putt's fun. Yeah. I mean, it's Happy like Gilmore. Billiards. Exactly. Right? Exactly. It's like billiards um, just on the ground, you know, because you got to right. try to bounce it off to whatever you're doing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, golf and alcohol. Add alcohol to anything, make it more fun. To an extent, yes. To an extent, right. Yes, as long as you're safe about it. That is correct. So we And have, of age. And of age, yeah, absolutely. At my age, I don't really think about that anymore, but... Um, yes, Me neither. We do have airmen that are airmen and guardians that are both uh underage they should not be doing that so there is a question that i've asked before and i know my answer i I don't think it's going to change because i still think it's the greatest idea ever but i'm sorry what would the adult version of an ice cream truck sell and what song would it play okay so so during covid um we were all confined, and mm-hmm. so um, I was helping teach my kids school, and it's nothing I ever, ever want to do ever again. Yes. It is definitely not my niche. I also took up um, a barber shop because apparently my husband and son's hair needed to be cut a lot more frequently than my daughter's, and so they said, hey, you're good at a lot of things. Why don't you try this? Not good at it. Not at all. And so as I'm walking through all these things, figuring out that I'm really not good at a lot of things mm-hmm. that I thought I might be good at, that the Air Force is probably the best career for me, I did start mixing margaritas. Yes. I was teaching my daughter math, and she was doing measurements, and I thought, well, if you're going to learn this, you might as well entertain me. Let me teach you how to make me margaritas. Um, and so now I'm sure half of the people listening to this are calling CPS. But So my daughter makes a mean margarita. <laughs> um And I realized that I might have a calling in a margarita truck because everyone, you know, I'm not that far from retirement. I can retire now. I know that I'm on the tail end. So what do I want to do when I grow up? And I thought, well, I definitely want to teach yoga. But if I don't teach yoga, what else could I do? So I came up with this idea that I would buy an ice cream truck and convert it to a slushy margarita machine. A whole bunch of margarita machines. So sort of like when you go down to, um, you know, Mardi Gras, they have all those. So I was going to do that, but I was going to do it in an ice cream truck. And I was going to use the top shelf stuff, right? Because no one wants the the bad stuff, right? You don't feel good. And I need repeat customers. Yes. So I was going to do that. And I was going to play disco music because I'm a big fan of disco music. Um, I love it. And I would be playing disco music and I would be following the buses after school. So when everyone goes back to school, I get all the moms who are like me now who don't have anything to do for about six hours. And I say that, but we have a lot to do, but why not do it while drinking margaritas? Yes. And so when the kids go off to school, you know, all the parents are there waiting for their margarita. And then subsequently, again, when they pick their kids up at the bus stop because they don't need to drive, you know, the ice cream truck comes, we entertain the kids. Kihara's truck comes and I've got, you know, top shelf margaritas. Yes. So that may be my plan here. It, no one does that. And so. disco. <clears throat> and margaritas disco. and disco. Margaritas and disco. Do you think that's a good idea? So mine is actually tacos and margaritas. Nice. See? So I would definitely have. Uh, How about a- this? You get the taco truck, right? Okay. And then I get the margarita truck and then we just follow each other. I'm OK with that. And then. Right. And then you have your niche thing. I have my niche thing and we yes. could just get really good at it. Uh, so I will pay for margaritas in tacos. That I'll take that. OK. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and my uh, song would be the tequila. Ah, yes. So, um, yes. I have, I have, 
I think I've Googled it one time of who actually sings that because my kids didn't think it was a real song. <laughs> um, they're just like, you're just, you're just saying tequila. I was like, but it's, never mind. Yes. It's yes. a song. But I want carne asada. So you have to have carne asada. I can do that. Okay. Actually, my wife is definitely a much better cook than I am since mm-hmm. um, I don't actually burn cereal, but I could I could ruin <laughs> some stuff if I, if I really tried. I'll make sure that she does the tacos, create all that. She likes to she likes to play with flavors too. So good. I, that's why I mean, she could test them out on me, and I'll test out the the margarita flavors on her. Yes, yeah. Don't give. I don't taste alcohol. Being a Korean linguist, obviously, and spending five years in Korea, I, at the time I drank a lot of alcohol. I do not go to any of those specific lengths anymore. Um, but uh, I don't really taste alcohol. It all tastes good to me. And then, uh, but when my wife gets it and she's just like, that is disgusting. I was like, oh, <laughs> she's like, there's way too much tequila in that. I was like, I don't think that's possible, but okay, I'll, I'll take your word for it. So I've been working on rum punch oh, nice. for her. She likes, uh, she doesn't really like the taste of alcohol. So I've been working on rum punch for her and uh, make it taste good. So she's, yes. she, she's like two batches of rum punch so far over the course of like i don't know like a month that maybe so. try and make her a moscow mule moscow mule all right we just did that last weekend okay yes so mm-hmm. you'll go ahead nope go ahead i was gonna say that that tiktok group i was talking about mm-hmm. they they specifically talked about one type of new tequila called Cap- capena huh haven't heard of it's it it's got it's leaking infused oh so i was like well i mean obviously i gotta try that so mm-hmm. she's like just mix that with some pineapple juice and you're good to go or a uh, pineapple and lime juice i was like well that's easy yeah with that she's like or you can just drink it straight i was like i'll try that as well so and i i think they they don't have i'm not sure if they have it at our shop better but i or the next i saw it one i think it's at the next the next has a very yeah, large selection it's much it's it's much better than what we have here on on hickam so yeah so moscow mule Moscow Mule, yes, we we weren't really familiar with it, but I saw a Moscow Mule um, copper cup set, and I got it for Father's Day, and I said, right. "Hey, let's make Moscow Mules." We had it one time, I think at um, out in Coalina at the, the Green Turtle or um, the restaurant out there that everyone goes to. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but I don't think it's Green Turtle. That's the Maryland thing. Yes. Yes, you're right, because I've been there too. <laughs> but the restaurant that everyone goes to out there, um, so they had them and they were really good. And so they're very light because mm. it's vodka. All it is is vodka, ginger beer, mm-hmm. um, right, like on alcohol, yeah. ginger beer, and fresh lime juice. Oh. That's it. So Moscow Mule, those are the ones that you should drink in a, in a copper cup. In a copper cup, cup too, right? yes, with a copper so. straw. And it's very, very good. With a copper straw as well. That's... Yeah, well, it comes with it if you buy the copper cup set. Oh, okay. All right. Yes. So well, Prime Day's already already gone. So that's how I got it. Oh, there. You go. <laughs> uh, I'm like, this is what I need. All this stuff. I need these things that I don't actually need, but it's Prime Day. Why would I not yeah, buy them? It's true. Well, I we bought a Ninja Blender that arrived today. Um, and I thought you were going issues. somewhere else with the Ninja part. I was oh, no. it, I was intrigued, and then I heard Blender, and I'm like, oh, okay. What else is gonna be Ninja? I don't know. I mean, oh. you can buy all kinds of stuff. This is true. Ninja swords, Ninja outfits. Yeah, I have. All of those. So my son does. I would say it's for Halloween. It's just it's not, though. <laughs> so, OK, let's go with uh, one last question. OK, let's see. Hmm. It's kind of a toss up. Let's go with this one. What book belongs on everyone's bookshelf? And you can go with two if you have one for professional and or improve yourself. And you should just read this because it's an awesome story. OK, so um, for our professional Call sign chaos. Okay. Every, I mean, you, you heard in my change of command. I'm, I'm a big fan 
of Mattis. So um, I think that through story, he gives very specific examples of how empowering people in your chain of command allows you to achieve excellence without having to, again, micromanage. So I, I took a lot of... Um, snippets from that book that I didn't really think I was going to. I thought it would just be about CENTCOM and and things, but it was all about leadership. So I was highly intrigued with that book. Um, I would say, and I can't say it's one book, but I would say the Harry Potter series. Okay. Um, Because it just elevates your mind and allows you to really... um, you know, use your imagination in ways that I think uh, as you grow older, you lose a little piece of that in yeah. in life. And so it's impossible in those words to not picture the, the surroundings and the scenario. And so it, it immediately grabs your imagination and takes it to places that you might have forgotten it can go. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that uh, J.K. Rowling did an, an, an amazing job in uh, describing scenes and things like that to where your imagination, um, she didn't build it complete for you so that your brain and your imagination could take it to whatever you know level that you'd like to. Yeah. So I think she did a really good job with all of those. I did try to read the f- Harry Potter series first in Korean. Um, <laughs> it was horrible. I'd never hadn't read the English version and uh, it was already out in Korean. Um, and it took me like 15 minutes to figure out what Hermione was. Oh, none of the teachers knew either. It's not in any dictionary. Obviously, I asked a teacher who had children. She's like, that's the girl's name. I was like, what? She's like, it's English. I was like, that's not English. That's it's <laughs> not a word. She's like, it's English. So I gave up in Korean and read them in English. Yes. So, yeah. So I recommend, right, we lose pieces of our young selves as we continue to grow and we we run out of time because we're busy doing life things that we we miss things about us that used to be great and so I think bringing those back um, is useful it helps you de-stress I like to read I when I read for fun I never read the news I never read um, uh, non-fiction Mm. I just I go straight for you know, something that's going to spark my imagination. Yeah. Right. I mean, in the work that we do, it's nice to just mentally get away. Yeah. So. Absolutely. I agree. Well, ma'am, I'd like to uh, be respectful of your time because I know that uh, your calendar is ridiculous. Um, (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Just just scheduling this right here uh, takes an act of Congress, um, especially whenever the, you know, the president's giving us uh, extra days off and things like that and kind of no notice vacations which uh, obviously is well overdue yeah uh it came as a surprise to a lot of people i know my class that i'm in right now we got just random emails like hey tomorrow's a a down day no explanation it's like because of juneteenth it's like there's there's a reason for that a very good reason exactly and but you still so. have to make up the work, right? We af- yes. absolutely. So it's just it's just <laughs> double the homework. It was really easy. Yeah. So watch an extra episode of the drama. Mm-hmm. So all those things. But uh, it was definitely, and it was also good to explain to the Korean teachers that we have because they, you know, obviously being um, born in a foreign nation, mm-hmm. things like that, they didn't know what Juneteenth was, uh, why it's a why it's a day off, and things like that. And it's like, well, it's not a day off. It's it's a remembrance of, of certain things and explaining. You know, getting into how them being 
kind of emancipated from the Japanese rule after World War II, uh, showing that, you know, the similarities that United States history and, you know, Korean history has uh, is really good for us and our Korean abilities to be able to explain that. We might not have done it justice, but it is good that we can share some of those things and explain how, uh, although we are, our cultures are completely different, there are things that, you know, cross all types of cultural boundaries. And unfortunately, the need for emancipation and, and freedom from tyrannical rule is, uh, unfortunately, it it's uh, it spans the globe. So Yes, it does. But I'd like to thank you for being here. Of course. Uh, is there anything specific you'd like to say uh, to the group? Um, I'm obviously everyone uh, that had the opportunity to break away uh, to watch the change command um, heard a lot of your words then and the group staff has already had you know a couple of sit downs with you uh, I know that all the group staff entities have been having sit downs with you almost yes. on a daily basis so I'm sure learning about finance and, and civil engineering and yes. 1073 <laughs> fun and all those things yes. is, uh, is good. No, I, I would just say thank you. Um, thanks to the work that everyone's doing every day. Thanks for getting me up to speed on everything. I'm really looking forward to continuing to get out and see folks. Um, I think some people have already realized that sometimes I sneak out and go over to places um, and don't tell anyone. And so I just show up unannounced and it's great. But I think you can have really candid conversations with folks in their element that they may not be willing to have with you when you're surrounded by all their leadership and then my leadership team. And so I like to do that. Um, but I, in just those short amount of visits, I've recognized how much work and how important the work that we're doing is. And not that I didn't know that, but sometimes you just, you, you become overwhelmed like, wow, I mean, I knew you did all this, but now I get to see it. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed, very, very impressed with the group. Yes, we definitely have impressive airmen and yes. guardians working for us we do um i say for us with us is uh, they're not they don't work for me that's for sure <laughs> but so uh, i'm glad to uh work alongside a lot of a lot of these airmen and guardians that do so much for the group that a lot of them you'll never know right. whether based on the job that we do or the behind the scenes work that is being done so it is good i'm glad that you get to go out and do that don't scare too many airmen off uh, they don't so. seem to be scared. I'm freaking out like all the leadership. Like, wait, what? Oh. She's here? Uh, you know, like mm -hmm. I didn't expect that. All of a sudden, Lieutenant Curls run down the hallway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, you, where have you been? Uh, yeah. so. All right. Well, thank you very much. Of course. Thank you. Colonel Stacy Kahara, Commander, 692 ISR Group. Undoubtedly, you have seen her walking through your spaces already, but if not, she'll be coming around soon. As she continues to visit and get up to speed on the work that you are all doing, please do not hesitate to let her know what you think is good and bad with the group, the unit, and the job. As we start to focus in on the strategic offsite that the leaders of our group will attend, the primary focus will be on the things that we need to start doing, improve upon, and or stop doing. These strategic offsites have a tendency to determine the direction in which the group pushes, so inputs are invaluable. If you have any ideas, recommendations for future podcast shows or guests that you'd like to hear from, 
Let us know by going to any of the socially acceptable means of communication. Leave us a comment. Facebook URL is facebook.com forward slash group forward slash 692D podcast. The email is simply 692D podcast at gmail.com. And you can always leave us a message on the Mattermost channel. If you can't get to any of those, send me an email at derek.addison at us.af.mil and I'll respond as soon as possible. That's the show for today. So for now, aloha, take care of yourself. And if you can, take care of someone else too.